Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for what we will learn tonight. Thank you that the spirit of the instructor is in the house to lead us and guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, church. Last week, we rounded up chapter 14 on Christian liberty. And just like you all rightly said, uh, we concluded from the scriptures that true Christian liberty is rooted in love and not in selfishness. There are two kinds of liberty. There is liberty which is rooted in selfishness and liberty which is rooted in love. You know, and it only takes a Christian who can really practice true liberty, that which is based, rooted, and grounded in love. Yes, you have the right to do all things because it's lawful. But is it beneficial? Uh, true Christian liberty looks out for others. And just like you all rightly said, I like one of the contributions that one of you just mentioned that uh, we, we, we have been made free from the yoke of bondage. And I've read that scripture in Galatians chapter 5 when we talk about the yoke of bondage, which is the law. So, how be it? Uh, because we have been made free, it, 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 the, the freedom doesn't mean we have to indulge in our desires to the point that we become selfish. That's not true Christian liberty. Amen. So it's not like I can do everything and yada, 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 and stuff like that. You have to watch out for other people. Amen. And when you're a Christian too, you always have to Stand fast in the liberty. It's not automatic. Otherwise, your relationship with God will become law-based or rules-based. And that's not the best. Yeah. So, sometimes you can do things motivated by the law. All right? Why are you praying? Are you praying because you have a relationship with Christ and you want to fellowship with him? Or are you praying just to appease your conscience that I have prayed? Are you understanding me? Why are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible because you want to grow? Are you reading the Bible because you want to fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Or are you reading the Bible because I have to read the Bible to appease my conscience? So that by the end of the day, when I'm walking, I'll say, oh yeah, today I read my Bible. True, you've read your Bible, but are you practicing it? You know, so uh, we have to make sure that our relationship with God doesn't become law-based. Just like the Pharisees, they did everything right, but it was rule. It was law. That's why the word did not really have an effect on them. These people were the best tithers, okay? Best tithers. Every church would like to have them. Because that means you will have money in your church. They even tithe of flowery spices. Okay, Matthew 23, 23. There is nowhere in the scripture where it says we should tithe of flowery spices. I mean, the tithe was regulated under the Old Testament. Moses didn't give that instruction. But these people were so zealous about tithe that they even tithed of flowery spices. But everything that they did was law-keeping. That's why they were very arrogant. Amen. Excuse me. And that's why they were very arrogant. Alright? One of them was praying, say, I'm not like this publican. I fast twice a week, pray, whatever. But the Lord had no interest in that. So may the Lord free us from the law so that we can truly be at Christian liberty with the Lord. Amen. So tonight, let's move on to chapter 15. I believe we will learn some interesting things in chapter 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. What's the meaning of the word scruples? Anybody? Can just write it in the chat box. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, verse 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, who are the weak here? Uh, mind you, the, the weak is in a context, okay? Because weak can be used universally. You know, sometimes when someone seems to be overcome by sin, we, we say he is weak. Sometimes when people do not have faith, we will say, oh, he is weak. Sometimes when certain Christians are not growing, you know, in the faith and they've been in the Lord for some time, we will say they are weak. So when the Bible is talking about weak, which, which, which category is it referring to as weak? For us to understand this very clearly, go to the previous chapter. That's chapter 14. And let's read the first three verses. And if you do remember last two weeks, we touched on this. And let me read it again for emphasis. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 to verse 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So, chapter 15, the Bible is telling us that we should bear with the scruples of the weak. So who is the weak referring to here? The weak is referring to anybody who has received Christ and is still under his tradition. Are you understanding me? Because mind you, the Jews, even though they are, they are also becoming new to the gospel, they still struggled with some things. You know, they were, they were trying to like what Jesus was saying. They were trying to mix new wine into old wine skin. That doesn't work. You know, they were trying to apply the mosaic laws under the new covenant. And that doesn't work. And Paul calls such people weak. Right? So there are people like that. They, they are traditional beliefs. So the, the Jewish people believed by tradition, if they eat certain meats, they were unclean. Gentiles never thought like that because they understood the grace of God. And that's why Paul uses the term weak. So now in chapter 15, when it starts off by saying that we should bear with the scruples of those who are weak and not to please ourselves, it's referring to those in chapter 14. It's just a continuation. Amen. So we, we don't criticize such people. Let's accept them. There are certain people when they come into Christianity, one of the things they will struggle with is with their tradition, traditional beliefs. The Bible tells us, don't be harsh towards them. Don't condemn them. Just bear with them. Amen. There are people like that. Struggle. Amen. There, there are some people... Everything is a demon. Everything is a demon. Even when they are late, they will, they will say it was because it was a demon. Demons intentionally made sure that when it reached my turn of all the gridlock, the traffic I was experiencing on the 95, when it reached my turn, it was red. That's why it became late. You know, people have some funny traditions. And sometimes when they come into Christianity, they still struggle with such traditions. Allah, the Jews. The Bible is telling us that when we see people like that, they are weak. We should bear with their scruples. Okay? So, let's bear with them. There are people like that. Not many people will just take to the gospel and will fly off with rocket speed and we will experience advanced growth and maturity in the faith. For some, it's step by step. And the Bible says we should bear with them. Sometimes it can be a bit 
in um, um, Tuscan. I must be honest. If you've never dealt with people like that before. But the Bible says, bear with them. Amen. Let's bear with them. And when we bear, we, 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 should, we should bear with them. And the Bible admonishes us that when we bear with such people, we bear with such people not to please ourselves. Okay? We bear with such people because it's a selfless thing to do. Amen. So, true Christian liberty uh, thinks of his neighbor. Right? So that's what it really means. And, and the Bible lets us know that if Christ came to please himself according to verse 3, none of us would be heirs of salvation. So Christ wants us to copy his example. We have to be selfless. And we come to the place where we are selfless. It will be easy to bear the scruples of the weak. So anytime you are becoming intimidated, impatient with a fellow believer who is not exhibiting growth, don't point at the believer who is not growing. Perhaps you will have to point at yourself and ask yourself, am I selfish or am I selfless? Are you understanding me? <laughs> because sometimes the tendency to point, he's not growing. He's not taking the messages serious. He's not living the life of sanctification. Instead of trying to point the finger at why the believer is not growing, point it at yourself. And ask yourself just two questions. Am I selfish? Or am I selfless? Because if you are selfless, you will bear with the scruples of the weak. So that's a charge to any believer who has experienced some sort of an advanced growth or maturity in the faith. We have a big job. Our job is to bear with people who have not yet come to our understanding. Amen. Now, Christianity is a call to sacrifice. Because if Christ lived for himself, none of us would be heirs of salvation. That's why when you read Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Christ makes the clarion call to every believer who is also his disciple. That if we want to come after him, we should deny ourselves. We should take up his, his cross and we should follow him. So the call to Christianity is a call to sacrifice. And why do we take up the cross? Are we taking up the cross to die for the sins? No, we are taking up the cross because it means we have to kill self. You see, when you're a Christian, if you don't kill self, you can never do things motivated and rooted in love. You see, self has to die to give way for the love of God to be fully expressed in your life. Amen. And sometimes, Christians, we can be very selfish because we haven't understood or embraced that aspect of the Christian faith which is sacrifice. Amen. So now when we read verse 4, Paul then enumerates the scriptures are written for our learning. So scriptures are written for our learning. We, we, we read the scriptures to learn. And who are we learning of? Christ. That's the, that's the big. We are learning Christ. That's why the scriptures are written. The scriptures are written for us so that we will learn Christ. That's why when you read the scriptures, you will learn that Christ did not live for himself. So I don't have to live for myself. It's a call to sacrifice. The star of the scripture is Christ. So whenever we take the Bible to read, it's not just for information. We are learning of Christ so that Christ will be reflected and modeled in our lifestyle. Amen. And on top of that, the Bible lets us know that the scripture is also the source of patience, comfort, and hope. Why patience and comfort? Because the Bible calls God the God of patience and comfort. 
And how many of you know that in John 1, 1, the Bible said that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So whenever we take this Bible to read, we are also having an affair with the God of patience and comfort. That is why we will also receive patience and comfort. And the Bible lets us know that through the scriptures, we receive hope. And how do we define hope? The positive and confident expectation of something good. Amen. The, the scriptures gives us hope. And one of the biggest hopes the scriptures give to us is that we will partake of the resurrection. That is the hope. Amen. So you get, you get that from the Bible. That's the source. That's the source of all hope. And aside that, you also get the hope to keep on living this Christian experience, believing that one day it's all going to pay off. Amen. Now, we are then admonished by Paul to be like-minded toward one another, especially those who don't hold the same views as us. So Paul is saying that we should be like-minded. So it's not only believers who have grown to a certain level that we are to be like-minded towards each other. It's all about those two who haven't grown and who are taking baby steps. We should also be like-minded with them. See, that's a challenge. I want you to see someone who has the same spiritual standing with you. It's easy to be like-minded with him. But when you see someone where there is a, a, a disparity in the growth, it's not possible there can be like-mindedness. But Paul is admonishing us that if we have truly learned of Christ, we should be like-minded. That's why it's important to read the scriptures. Because when you read the scriptures, you learn of Christ, you experience patience and comfort because you have contacted God who is also known as the God of patience and comfort. You see, you need these things to be able to be like-minded with people who are weak in the faith. So the Bible doesn't just want us to be like-minded with people who we might have the same views, you know, we share the same affinity, like-minded with those who are also taking baby steps in the faith. Sometimes that's not, it's like, but we have to be like-minded. That's why we have to read the Bible. When we read the Bible, the Bible will give us that patience, it will give us that comfort to be able to be like-minded with fellow believers. Amen. And we should bear with them. We should bear with them. And this word bear has the picture of a mother nursing a child. That's why Christianity is not just about you. It's about looking out for others. We have to be patient. Amen. And learn how to bear with people. It will take time. It will take time. They will get there. Pray for them. Believe in them. Intercede for them. Do whatever you can do. Spend time with them and they will grow. Amen. So, um, certain doctrinal differences can't let us be one. I, I think it's important for me to say this in light of this. Certain doctrinal differences can't let us be one. Definitely. But not every difference it's a doctrinal one that should cause us to separate from one another. Are you understanding me? So certain doctrinal differences will never let us be one. But not every difference is a doctrinal one that should cause us to separate from one another. So for example, when you read Romans chapter 14, you don't separate with people over food or over a day of worship. That's not, that's not the reason. They are to flow. There are some people who will say that I worship the Lord on Saturday. Some will say I worship the Lord on Sunday. The Bible calls it doubtful thing. They should not bring separation. Are you understanding me? You want to eat meat because of your certain tradition. I will not eat meat based on a certain tradition. The Bible lets us know it's a doubtful thing. This should not be anything that should cause us to split. I understand me. 
But there are certain doctrinal differences that will cause us to split. This is not one of them. So Romans chapter 14 calls this doubtful things. Don't split over things because it's not everything that you should develop an apologetic stance. There are some things just love. And, you know, let it, let it be over. But in, in, in light of that, let me give you two scriptures which shows that it's okay to part with company. It's not a doubtful thing. It's a major thing. Are you understanding me? So let me give you the first scripture. 2 John chapter 1, verse 7 to 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So there are some people who don't believe Jesus is the son of God. He came in the flesh. Now, such teachings are called Gnosticism, all right? Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds." So, when the Bible is talking about we should flow and become one, this scripture is different from that. Is it? This is not a doubtful thing. This is talking about doctrine. You can't just flow with anybody who does not believe in Jesus as the Son of God. But when it comes to Romans chapter 14, in the issue of food, in the issue of a day of worship, we shouldn't make qualms about it. Amen. Let me give you the second scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 to 5. I could give you more, but I just want to stick with two. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to hold something. In fact, when we do chapter 16, you also see another doctrine which Paul advises. He's the same one that's saying that you people should be together, bear with one another. But when you read chapter 16, the closing, the closing chapter, he talks about if there is this doctrine that someone is not following, Mark avoid because they cause divisions. I understand me. So we, we have to understand when we can unite, when we can be one body, and when at times it might be necessary for us to part ways because of doctrine. Amen. Now uh, I'm reading. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which are cause of godliness. Now I'm reading first Timothy chapter six, verse. Three. Now I'm going to verse 4. He is proud, knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments of ours, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain? From such, withdraw yourself. So what Paul is saying that there are some people who are not concerned to wholesome doctrine, and one of the strongest things is that they will say godliness is a means of gain. When you see that, the Bible also says that, withdraw yourself. So, biblical, biblically speaking, there are reasons to part company. But now, when we are reading Romans chapters 14 and 15, that is not a strong reason. That is not biblical grounds on which I'm not going to get along with. A fellow believer. If he's not growing in the faith, you can't say, I'm not going to get along with him. Be like-minded with him. If he says, oh, I'm going to uh, uh, eat certain foods or I'm not going to eat certain foods based on his traditional belief, it's because he hasn't grown. Once he begins to grow and understands the gospel very well, all these traditional things will begin to dissipate and give way for true Christian liberty. But until then, we have to learn how to stick together and flow as a unit in the body of Christ. Amen. So now, um, let's continue with verses 7 to 13. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. 
For this reason, I'll confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall have hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So now Apostle Paul has shifted gears now. The first gear. Be like-minded and bear the scruples of the weak. We've gone ahead to talk about weak in a context, okay? And the weak are people who receive the gospel, yet they still struggle or they live by certain traditional beliefs. So the Jews were a typical example. They were living with traditional beliefs of the Old Testament. And, and Jesus, just like Jesus rightly said, it's like pouring wine or old wine into a new wine skin or vice versa. The Bible says you have to pour new wine into new wine skin. You have to pour old wine into old wine skin. But if you, if you mix them, the wine skin will bust. Okay, it's a, it's a typical example. People like that, they are known as weak. In this current context, sometimes you have certain people. Now, they will have many traditional beliefs. An American can say, I'm giving my life to Christ. Yes, he has received Christ, but he still has certain American traditional beliefs, which is not in line with the gospel. You will see an European, an European says, I've given my life to Jesus Christ, but he's still struggling and he has certain European traditions, which is not in line with the gospel. A Hispanic will say, oh, I've received Christ, my Lord, and personal Savior, which is true, but he will still be struggling with certain Hispanic traditions, which are not in line with the gospel. An African will say, oh, I've received Christ, my Lord, and personal Savior, but he will still be struggling with certain African traditions, which are not in line with the gospel. The Bible says, people like that, don't part company with them. Bear with them. Be like-minded with them. That's why Paul is admonishing. When you read the Bible, which is for our learning, it's also the source of patience, comfort, and hope. All right? And it's to take patience and comfort for us to relate with such people. Howbeit, it's not every time that you can unite or become one with a fellow believer, especially when it comes to the issue of doctrine. And that's why I read those two scriptures so that I will balance it out very well. Amen. So now, Apostle Paul now has shifted gears. He's no longer going to talk about weak in faith. Now he's going to talk about living at peace and in concord with the Gentiles. It's a very thorny issue and that needed to be said. Paul makes a case that for the Gentiles that they were part of the program of God. They were not an afterthought. Because the Jewish man during those times could think that the Gentiles are an afterthought. One of the reasons why the Jewish people didn't, did, were struggling to believe the gospel or the gospel of grace was they had this idea that there is a new gospel that has been cooked so that Gentiles could come in and we could all be one. That was their mindset. That was their concept. But when you read the scriptures, the Bible lets us know that the Gentiles were part of the program of God before the foundation of the world. And I'm glad that we did Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 to cover all those bases. Because that, that was why Paul had to really teach that in Romans chapters 9, 10, 11. And if you are not here, if you missed it, I'll advise you to Get the messages and listen. We, we did justice on, on those scriptures. Amen. And uh, he went ahead to cite scriptures from the Old Testament to prove that. You know, so Paul is saying that, look, it's in your Bible, in the Old Testament. So when you are reading the scriptures, wherever it has inverted commerce, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament that the Gentiles were part of the program of God. You know, and it was very important for Paul to mention this to the Jews. 
because the Jews thought they were better than the Gentiles. And Christianity does not promote superiority complex. You can't tell me you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. And you have a superior complex. None of us is better than each other. Let's get that very clear. Because even though some of the Jews had received this gospel of grace, they were still biased towards the Gentiles. And they were boasting on their lineage. We are the seed of Abraham. You are not the seed of Abraham. We were the ones given the, the Torah, the commandments. We were given the law. You were not given the law. We have a better standing in front of God because God calls us, we are his firstborn children. Who are you? So even though they have even received the gospel, there was still that chasm of superiority complex that was hovering around the Jews and the Gentiles. That was not promoting harmonious living. And that should not happen in our case. When we say we are believers, and Jews really boasted on class. Jews really boasted on class. You know, because... Um, you know, Jew- Jewish people at that time were very powerful people. And-, and most of the slaves were Gentiles, not really Jews. So they did not really respect them. But when the Roman Empire also became very big, you know, and became very powerful, because at the time of Paul's writing, Gentiles were really ruling. They now pay them back. You also become a slave. So, you know, there was that kind of political tension and everything. And, and all this had mixed the gospel. You know, we're not getting along. So Paul is making a case. You don't just have to get along with weak believers. You also have to get along with Gentiles who you consider they are an afterthought. You have to get along with them. And like Isaiah had prophesied from scripture that the Gentiles will come to know the Lord and they will be part of his people. They are part of God's people. You have to get along with them. When one becomes a Christian, we have to stop boasting in useless, worthless, and baseless things. And that's what the Jews were doing. They're boasting about lineage, boasting about standing, boasting about class. This, these are useless, worthless, and baseless things. When you're a Christian, don't be boasting about family background. Uh, educational qualification, your job, financial status, where you live. And you say you're a Christian? Once we become Christians, there is parity. Do you know what we should boast as Christians? When I look at all of us here, the only thing we should boast as Christians is that we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are partakers of the resurrection. This is what we should boast in. When I'm a Christian, I'm looking at your financial status. When I'm a Christian, I'm looking at your educational qualification. Um, That is not really right. And we believe in education. We should go to school. When we go to school, we will have a headway in this life and everything. Good. You should make money. Great. May make six figures, that's good. If you are making five figures too, well, praise God. If you are making four figures too, that's good. But these things, worthless, baseless, and useless, it should not bring a chasm among fellow believers. Because if it does, then truly you have not really experienced the grace of God. You don't understand the grace of God yet. And that was what was happening between the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles, history was not so kind to them. So the Gentiles really used that as a whip against them. But as a Christian, we can't boast like that. Our boasting, when you look at a poor man, you look at a white man, when you look at someone who has not even been to school like you have been to school, our boasting should be we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. And we are partakers of the resurrection. That should be our boasting. Christianity is not a place to continue society's chasm and, and society's 
um, um, bridging that has widened the gap and created so many classes. Christianity is not an extension of that. It ends that. That's why in Galatians chapter 3, Apostle Paul was very strong to say that in Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. There is neither free nor slave. For we are all one in Christ and we are all Abraham's seed. That's an offensive message to preach to, 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 to a Jew. Because a Jew is thinking, what are you talking about? Gentile, me and Gentile. No, we, we are not the same. But we are the same. So when, when you become a Christian, don't be boasting about your, 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 your privileges, your background and, and all that stuff. Praise God if you have them. It's great. I mean, you should be proud of it. But don't use it as a weapon to bridge gaps. Because society and the world has too much of that. And Christianity should be the last place that should happen. Amen. They are useless, worthless, and baseless. If you are boasting about these things, what you should boast about is we are in God. You are my brother, you are my sister. We are brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. Irrespective of where we come from, irrespective of family background, you may be an upper middle class, whatever. That person might be lower class. But when you see that person, see that person as he's an heir of Christ, she's an heir of Christ, we are joint heirs with Christ, we will partake of the resurrection. That is true Christianity. Amen. We, we, can't, we can't boast like the world does. So Apostle Paul is telling the people, don't just live at peace and in concord with weak believers. Live at peace and in concord with people you don't respect who are the Gentiles. Do you all get the message? Now let's continue. Verses 14 to 23. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, Able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. Therefore, I have risen to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have heard shall understand. For this reason, I've also been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in this past and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way thereby. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. Amen. So Paul, Paul then went ahead to talk about trusting his audience to be full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and also able to admonish one another. Uh, you know, wh when I read this verse, I always remember John Maxwell. John Maxwell says something that personally I've even borrowed it. He says, put a turn on people. And what does John Maxwell means? Put a turn on someone. Putting a turn on someone means ex expect the best out of people. So, even Paul has preached the gospel, he still expects the best out of these people. You see Paul's pastoral heart here. He believed the best for his audience that they are full of goodness, they are filled with knowledge, and they are able to admonish. Admonish is a combination of correction, reproof, and encouragement. Amen. 
And he was bold in his affirmation for them because he taught them the scriptures. That's why he says that I wrote to you boldly on some points. The reason why Paul is telling them about you should get along with the Gentiles was if you do remember the earlier chapters, Paul said that you and the Gentiles, you are both the same. You are all sinners. If you don't receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you are all going to hell. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, it was a bold assertion that Paul had to make to the, Gentiles, to the Jews just to puncture and deflate their ego. So that they will, they will see that we are in need of a Savior and we need the gospel. Paul had gone ahead to explain many things to them. And Paul says that I am expecting that after my writing, you'll be full of goodness. You will be filled with the knowledge of the scriptures. And because you are filled with the knowledge of the scriptures, you are able to admonish. That's correct. That's encourage. And that's instruct. That's admonish. Amen. So, Paul was bold in his affirmation. So let's expect the best out of people. I don't, I don't know what, what Paul thought of the, 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 the church in Rome, but he had high hopes for them. And he also talked about being a minister of the Gentiles. Paul paid a great price. And, and he, he, he had to spend time with the Gentiles so that when they give an offering... The Bible lets us know that it will be accepted, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know, and why is that important? Because the Gentiles were known for paganism. The Jews would have never known idol worship until they made a league of alliance with pagans who are known as Gentiles. Right from the Bible. Like, for example, when Moses uh, left for 40 days and 40 nights and went to the Lord to receive the commandments. The Bible lets us know that the people told Aaron, Moses is not going to come back. Let us build a golden calf and worship him. You know, that is not only the Israelites. Because when you read your scriptures carefully, the Bible lets us know that a mixed multitude followed Israel as they left out of Egypt. So right from the Old Testament till now, any form of idol worship that the Israelites learned, it was because they learned it from Gentiles who were pagans. So to the Jew, when, when a Gentile makes sacrifice, it wasn't accepted because they were seen as pagan worship. In fact, even if you look at Babylon, Babylon meant they mixed God because they believed in God and they also worship idols. They were, they, 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 uh, uh, Gentiles practice the height of paganism and a Gentile is simply a non-Jew. So these people, they had a stigma upon them that when they sacrifice, it would never be accepted. But Paul is saying that now that the gospel has been preached, if a Gentile makes a sacrifice, it is accepted by God because it's sanctified by the Holy Spirit because of the gospel. Paul then went ahead to talk about the sacrifice of preaching the gospel from Jerusalem to a Gentile city in Illyricum. From this, you really see Paul's diligent labor in the kingdom. To make an impact, it really requires diligence. That's what I learned from this scripture. Because Paul really worked hard. It's hard work. Please respect any general of God who has made an impact in this world. Because when you see a general of God who has made an impact in this world, it should speak to us of their diligence. You, you can't make an impact, especially in the kingdom of God, if you are not diligent. And thank God for Paul. Paul took the gospel from Jerusalem to the uttermost part of the earth, which was Ilerakum. And Paul was so diligent that he fulfilled Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. It says, To whom he was not announced, they shall see. To those who have not heard, shall understand. See, Paul was so diligent. Amen. So because of Paul's commitment to the gospel, 
We, re- we see in the scriptures that he couldn't even visit Rome. And he promised to do so when he journeys to Spain. Because when he's going to Spain, he will have to pass through Rome before he gets to Spain. And, and because of the task and, and, and the mandate of preaching the gospel and making himself an apostle of the Gentiles, he couldn't come to the people in Rome. So this letter is now shifting more from a doctrinal aspect to a very personal aspect. Amen. So do we understand? It's five more minutes. Let me finish. Let me finish. I, 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 I felt I should pause, but let me finish. Verse 25 to 29. Let me read this. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it's, it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and I have sealed them these fruits, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So, what's Paul talking about here? Paul is giving them his itinerary. That I will come to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. But before that, let me make an announcement. It pleased me to let you know that two Gentile cities have given an offering to the Jewish saints. The gospel really unifies, you know. The gospel unifies. Let me tell you, Gentiles didn't like Jews. And Jews didn't like Gentiles. But we see two Gentile cities here, Macedonia and Achaia. These are not Jewish cities. These are Gentile cities. They have collected an offering. They have come together and they have given an offering that go and help the poor saints in Jerusalem. The gospel unifies. It's powerful. Gospel unifies. And you see two Gentile churches who say, let's help the poor in Jerusalem. But you know the funny thing? Jerusalem was sort of like the headquarters of Christianity. There were many churches in Jerusalem. The Gentile churches should have said, why don't the churches in Jerusalem help the poor in Jerusalem? But the Gentiles took it upon themselves because they have received the gospel and they decided to help out. That's something neat we can learn here. The gospel unifies. And whilst Paul is going to Jerusalem, he's carrying offering of Gentiles who have given to support the poor in Jerusalem. And I'm sure when Paul goes there and when he tells the Jews that this offering is from your brethren in Macedonia and Achaia, I'm sure there might be some pushback, but Paul will say, no, I am a minister of the Gentiles. And I have preached to them in such a way that their offerings might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The gospel unifies. Let me tell you, when you really receive the gospel and when you live the life of the gospel, at times shall come schisms, you know, and grudges and those things, they will have to drop. That's the power of the gospel. These people who were sworn enemies, they didn't like each other. Gentiles didn't like Jewish people. Jewish people didn't like Gentiles. Now, a Gentile church, two Gentile churches actually are helping minister to the needs of poor people in the church of Jerusalem. That's a very powerful thing. Amen. So, what a blessing. So now, Paul just goes ahead to say that, Therefore, when I have performed this and I have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So, Paul is making them know, I'm going to come to see you. When I'm going to Spain, I'll pass by you, Rome. But know that when I come, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So, what that means is that Paul probably has more things to tell them or more, more, more mysteries or more truths to give to them when he meets them face to face. But what a blessing. I like what um, Paul said. He said, if the Gentiles have been partakers of the Jews' spiritual things, because Paul is a Jew, 
he ministered to them. Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Amen. So Paul believes it's just a fair exchange. It's true that Jews that you became saved. So it's okay to minister to them your material stuff, irrespective of the differences. In fact, when you look at the church of Macedonia, Macedonia was a poor church. They didn't have much. This is a poor church ministering to a poor church outside their region. The gospel transforms the gospel changer. I pray that may we all come under the power of the gospel. When we come under the power of the gospel, we will not live for ourselves. Just as Paul said in the earlier verses, we will live for others. We will seek the interest of others. I like how Ephesians chapter 4 says it's endeavoring to keep the bond of peace. No. How does that? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. When, when, you have, when you have received the gospel and you have come under the influence and the power of the gospel, you always want to unite with one another. Amen. So you see the effect of the gospel. So Paul's work was not in vain. After Paul spent all his time preaching, now these people who were at loggerheads with each other, now they are helping one another. That is the power of the gospel. The gospel unites. Amen. Let me read the last few verses and we are done. Verse 32, 33. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come with you with joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you. Amen. So now, it's a, it's a personal tone now. So Paul is saying that pray for me. That as I go, the offering that I'm carrying will be accepted. You know, but these Jews too, they still have preconceived ideas and, and traditional uh, um, feelings against the Gentiles. And Paul is telling the church that, pray that when I go, all will be well. Amen. So on this note, that, that's it. So what, what Paul was really stressing about is learn how to live at peace with those who are weak. And we've, we've discussed, we've defined those who are weak those who have not really attained to the level of perhaps your, 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 your Christian experience or growth, learn to live at peace with the Gentiles. That's different people. Now, in this world, there are certain people that politics will make us enemies of, uh, socioeconomics will, will make us enemies of, learn to live at peace with all those people. And don't let class come into, into it. Like you see some Christians, they'll say, I'm a Democrat. I can't flow with a, a Republican. And vice versa. You've not understood the gospel of grace yet. When you understand the gospel of grace, you will know that your, your duty is not just to live at peace with those who are weak in faith, but to also live at peace with those Politics may have created enemies of, or socioeconomics would have also created enemies of. Let's, let's live at peace with each other. And, and, and let's do that the gospel unifies. Amen. Today I'm over time, three minutes. I started late, so um, who has any questions or contributions? The floor is open. I'm done. Amen. Did you all hear me? Thumbs up. Um, I said, who has any question or contribution? Everything else is recorded, so 
I can send you the message and you will get that part. I think the only question I had was on the doctrinal differences. Um, I understand um, that, of course, not all doctrinal differences should separate us, um, but you said there was you only giving us two verses uh, for those things that we should consider to, to like, it's okay to not be friends with certain people, right? Um, what are the rest of them? Um, time is time, time, time is on my time is not on my side. Yeah, I'm in the no, scriptures. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, so. that's okay. Maybe can you maybe compile them after maybe what's up them or something? All right, that that's a lot of work for me. I must be honest to you. Oh, okay, it's, it's that many. It's it's a lot. I'll have to really sit down and then. Yep, I have to I have to really sit down. Oh okay yeah. okay I didn't know it was that many yeah. okay I thought it, it was just a few. Okay. It is. Yeah. All right. So okay, next week we are doing Romans chapter 16. We will see one more there that we we'll have to consider. Amen. So even though Paul is talking about chapter 15, be sure you unite together in chapter 16, he, he, will see, he will say something about doctrine there, which we'll come to know. Amen. All right. Who else? Do you all understand? Thumbs up. Can I, can I see thumbs up? Do we all understand? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the rest don't understand. I don't see any thumbs up. I see two. I, see, I just see two thumbs up, and Shakwana said yes. I want to know. Pastor Robert, what don't you understand? Oh, okay. Your brown thumbs up, Kim. All right, who else? All right, Mr. Ever, what don't you understand? He's not there. All right. Let's sum up then. What have you learned tonight? One person. Anybody can go. My grandmother wants to add that she learned that the Gentiles and the Jews didn't like each other. She wasn't familiar with what a Gentile was. Um, and I learned that to be more like-minded because people do have different traditional beliefs. Amen. And you have to bear with people. We have to bear with people. So who can help? Who is a Gentile? A question just came. Let's help Grandma Geraldine understand who a Gentile is. So who help? She wants to know, can anybody be a Gentile? Like what? The, the definition of a gentile. Okay, so what's the definition of a gentile? And can anybody be a gentile? What's the definition? Yes, basically anybody who is non-Jewish is a gentile. So we are all, unless I mean, there's people who have Jewish blood. Um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, like for example, I don't have any Jewish blood that I'm aware of. I am a Gentile. I'll be considered a Gentile. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Okay. Uh, Grandma, is your question answered? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you all for attending. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you. Father, I pray your peace, your blessing upon your people even as we sleep tonight. We thank you that we will wake up with a, with a sense of urgency to live for you. And Father, we pray that as we read the scriptures, may patience and comfort indeed be rubbed upon us.
that we'll be able to bear with the scruples with those who are weak in faith. And above all, Lord, help us to love those who politics have created an enemy out of, socioeconomics have created an enemy out of. May, may, may class, standing, lineage, things that we want to boast with, those baseless and worthless things, may it be dropped and may we boast in Christ that we are one. Father, we pray that we will really live the truth of what we have learned tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. God bless, okay. One more chapter and we are done. Finish the book of Romans. Next week, we're done. God bless you. God bless. All right, good night, guys. Good night. Goodbye.